The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. someone you know has a child with autism in their family, answers and support can be hard to come by. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio with host Dr. Bill Freya. We will offer practical information for parents of children of all ages, as well as explore treatment topics and recent research related to autism. Now, here is Dr. Bill Freya. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm Dr. Bill Freya, your host for the hour. I'm a clinical psychologist and the co-founder of Autism Spectrum Therapies, a national agency providing resources and services to individuals of all ages who are living with autism spectrum disorders, as well as other developmental issues. For those that are returning listeners, I want to thank you for joining me once again. I also want to thank everyone for the great questions that you've emailed to me and posted on our Facebook page. This show is for you, and I appreciate your participation. So please continue to send your questions. You can always email them at moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. You can post them on our Facebook page, Autism Therapies. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, welcome. I am hoping you'll find the next hour to be full of information, resources, and hopefully some compelling food for thought. Each week, I have the pleasure of welcoming a different guest for a conversation that relates to the world of autism, and today, we're going to be discussing positive behavior supports and school-wide positive behavior supports, and we're going to have one of the leaders in this field join us for this discussion, Dr. Robert Horner. He's one of the most accomplished researchers that I know, an amazing, motivating speaker, and has done so much for children and adults with special needs and behavioral issues. We're really lucky to have him. Uh, If you want to find out who will be joining us in the coming weeks, uh, please visit the radio page on the AST website, autismtherapies.com. We have some amazing clinical experts and researchers, and they'll be fascinating and informative. You probably want to write them down in your calendar and research a little bit and send us those questions as well. We are right now in the middle of Autism Awareness Month, and I hope all of you have bought your blue light bulbs, you're lighting your homes up blue, you're spreading the word. Uh, This autism campaign represents a great opportunity to share with others Uh, what's important to you about serving individuals with autism, caring for them, educating them. I hope that you consider looking for opportunities to reach out to those in your community to inform them about autism issues. It is also an opportunity to reach out to children and students about uh, what autism is and how important it is to help their peers with autism. We want uh, children to understand that their fellow students who are on the spectrum can make great friends and that autism is not a mystery, but it's something that you can understand and you can be helpful with. And caring, compassionate children grow into caring, compassionate adults. And one of our parent advocates shared her feelings on this just last week. She was saying, I start with the little ones because they are going to be the policymakers when my son is an adult. And when you when you think of it that way, autism awareness is a huge goal. And Autism Awareness Month is a good first step 
for many folks looking for their first advocacy opportunity. So if you can, please join those in your community who are sharing autism awareness this month. It can really make a huge difference. Today, we're going to be talking about behavioral support and be diving more deeply into school-wide positive behavior support, an issue that many parents are interested in. Uh, Dr. Rob Horner, uh, our guest, uh, will give us an idea of how you implement uh, school-wide behavior support strategies and individual supports. I have enjoyed receiving your questions and comments on these topics, and uh, a lot of you are interested in things like bullying and wanting to learn more about how that's dealt with. So today we'll be able to do that. Before we begin, I want to briefly remind everyone that for the remainder of Autism Awareness Month, AST is giving individuals a platform to celebrate a parent of a child on the spectrum who's doing something special or possibly something unique. In honor of National Autism Awareness Month, AST would like to recognize those unsung heroes of autism. So do you know a parent of a child of autism who deserves to be recognized, or maybe two or three? Probably do. So we want to hear about it. For more information, go to the AST Facebook page at uh, Autism Therapies. We'll have 20 contest winners. Uh, They'll receive a spa day or gift certificate, uh, approximately $200 value. So today we're going to be talking about challenging behavior, school-wide positive behavior supports. And behavior is a word that evokes many different images to different people. For families who are struggling with behavioral issues, there is a hope that professionals will find a solution to their child's struggles. For children with autism, challenging behavior can often appear unpredictable. And uh, because of that, it was not that long ago that the primary treatments for challenging behavior were restraint, punishment, and possibly powerful medications that left individuals sedated and difficult for them to function. And today there is so much more hope, and much of that hope came from the studies conducted when I was in college in the 1980s, studies that demonstrated a powerful relationship between communication and challenging behavior. And they demonstrated that most challenging behaviors are communicative, and the widespread dissemination of this research findings by folks like our guest today, Dr. Robert Horner, led to a better public awareness that challenging behavior is not random. It's it's not uncontrollable. In fact, the treatment of difficult behavioral problems is usually pretty straightforward once you understand its communicative functions. Uh, the individual... It doesn't have efficient communication. It's hard for them to communicate. It's hard for them to understand the social context. Um, They have enormous frustration because of this uh, and their possibly agitation, anxiety. You put all that together and you're going to have a difficult difficult situation. And it's going to be hard for them to to communicate some of their basic basic needs. Uh, And so that's where we talk about the functions of behavior. So they might be trying to communicate, give me attention. I need someone to interact with me. I'm bored, I want you to come to me. Or maybe they're indicating they want something to stop. It's frustrating, it's a difficult situation, it's hurting them, it's bothering them, they want to be left alone, they need some space. Or maybe they just want something, you know, they want that toy to be brought over to them, they want some food, they want water, uh, they want to turn at something, give me that. And those functions of behavior, to escape something difficult, to, to get it, get attention or to access something, communicated in more efficient and understandable ways. And, and since the outstanding research, research that began nearly 30 years ago, we have gotten better and better at teaching alternative forms of communication. You can take a look at autismtherapies.com for you know, uh, some tip sheets on how to deal with things like tantrums and how to use functional communication training to, to do some of that. Uh, 
the field of positive behavior supports grew from the new technologies that stemmed from the functional approach to treating challenging behavior. And the early and very powerful message from PBS was that it's, it's not necessary to rely on aversives or punishment to treat challenging behavior. And we take that for granted uh, today, mostly. But it was in very recent history that aversives were a first line of treatment for challenging behavior. And so it was uh, important for us to look functionally at behavior and, and to assess challenging behavior from a function, functional perspective. So uh, you can Google functional analysis, functional behavior assessment. Uh, any of those terms will, will give you an idea of how it's how it's assessed. You, you determine why the individual is using the behavior. And once you know the function, and what they're trying to communicate, you can replace it. Is it for attention? Is it to avoid something? Is it to request something? And the assessment should naturally lead to effective problem solving, a, a plan around that behavior. What needs to be taught? How will it be taught? How do we measure if it's successful? And hopefully, how do we make sure that it leads to a plan to improve that individual's quality of life? And that's what positive behavior supports are at, at the core of it, is, is, is hopefully making meaningful change. Uh, Things like accessing more meaningful, enriching environments and opportunities. So I say opportunities. We want to we want the plan to result in more places, more context to use their new communication, effective communication, uh, uh, to learn to better socialize, participate, interact. Uh, give them a context to be successful, and giving them choices. Choice is an incredibly important variable in most uh, PBS plans. We all want to be able to make choices regarding what we're doing, who we hang out with, where we go, what we eat, watch on TV, and and obviously this is done by giving uh, accessing these things by giving better communication. So sometimes this involves tools such as picture exchange communication systems or other alternative communication devices, maybe high tech, and bringing peers uh, to, to that context, utilizing peers at school to provide genuine communication and social opportunities. That's really important. At the core of the program, however, is this understanding that you have to respect the reason and the purpose for the behavior. Once you know the purpose of the behavior, you can respect that purpose, teach an appropriate alternative, a replacement for that challenging behavior, and make it easier and more efficient than all the trouble that person was going through with a challenging behavior. Now, what professionals, professionals like Dr. Horner, our guest today, and his colleagues did was take that to the systems level. So, you know, I've been talking about helping an individual, but um, they've looked at not just teaching individuals to have effective communication patterns and social responses, but working to change how students communicate with each other at school. So, not just changing how an individual interacts with his or her environment, but changing the culture of a school campus. And some of the research has focused on putting contingencies in place on a school campus to reduce the group behavioral problems, increase specific positive behavior school-wide. And they've done an incredible, incredible job of this. My kids go to our local public school, and there's a school-wide positive behavior support program uh, that they enjoy. My daughter comes home excited to talk about how well she or her class did following the rules. And, and those rules are made very clear to them. The contingencies are very clear. And I'm, I'm just talking about giving all the students on campus direct positive feedback in a way that's meaningful to them. So I've been so impressed at how researchers in this area have taken the data from their studies and created an approach that thousands, thousands of schools across the country are using. And they have incredible data from across the country that is work that it's working. And they continue to do research to move it to higher levels of success. And uh, one question that has come up a lot 
when we talk about school-wide behavior, campus issues, is bullying. Why do students bully and how do you decrease bullying on campus? And we'll be talking about that with Dr. Horner today, that he is an expert on, in, in this area. And we'll talk to us a little bit about uh, how you adjust the campus environment to decrease bullying. So when we come back, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Robert Horner. He was an early champion of positive behavior supports from its early non-aversive roots to functional communication training and school-wide positive behavior supports we'll be talking about today. He'll tell us some of the latest research and the projects he's currently working on at the University of Oregon. I'll also be asking him some practical questions related to bullying, the questions that you brought to us. He's always in high demand for his speaking talents and overall brilliance, and I'm very excited to have him here today. Looking forward to what he has to say. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. And a quick thank you to our sponsors, uh, Centerbeam and Autism Training Solutions. Thank you for helping us be on the air. We'll be back in just a minute. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Need to replace aging IT infrastructure? Want a way to scale IT resources on demand? Looking for affordable disaster recovery alternatives? Then maybe the cloud is for you. If you aren't sure where or how to start, Centerbeam can help. Over the past decade, we've moved hundreds of clients to the cloud and for a limited time are offering a 25% discount on a cloud readiness assessment. It includes detailed recommendations for your transition to the cloud and is yours to keep. Call 877-710-8880 or visit centerbeam.com forward slash voice America. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit AutismTherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Everyone deserves a life filled with happiness, confidence, and achievements. Code Metro, developers of NPA Works Business Management Software, is proud to partner with Autism Spectrum Therapies and its efforts in creating futures for individuals with autism. To fulfill our duties, we promise a special needs product that helps organizations operate efficiently, providing them with a business system that evolves as rapidly as they do. The results? A streamlined practice to help maintain quality services. Discover how we help businesses succeed at NPAWorks.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. 
Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Freya, and today we're talking about uh, positive behavior supports, including school-wide positive behavior supports. And our guest today is one of the leading experts on these topics, Dr. Robert Horner. Dr. Horner is Alumni Knight Professor of Special Education at the University of Oregon. He directs the Educational and Community Supports Research Unit at University of Oregon, and he's also the co-director with Dr. George Sagai of the OSEP Technical Assistance Center on Positive Behavior Support. He currently, and always has since I've known him, had multiple federal research grants, technical assistance and personnel prep grants, and he serves on multiple editorial boards of prestigious journals. And he's written or edited 10 books and over 200 peer-reviewed research articles. And his research interest include positive behavior support, applied behavior analysis, stimulus control, instructional technology, severe disabilities, sustainable systems change. He researches a lot of stuff. And he has received multiple awards. I'll name a few. Saba Public Service Behavior Analysis Award, the AMR Education Award, TASH Positive Approaches Award, and the APA Fred Keller Educational Research Award. I can go on, but we need some time to speak with Rob. So, uh, Dr. Horner, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, loving it. Doing great. And, you know, I'm, I know that thousands of schools are now successfully using school-wide positive behavior support, but I think many of our listeners are probably not familiar with exactly how it works. Maybe you can just give us a description of it. I'd be happy to. School-wide positive behavior support is something that came directly out of the work that uh, you and Bob Cagle, Laura Schreibman, and Ted Carr were doing. Think about all of the work that you have done and seen focused on building individual behavior supports for individual students in schools who needed real help, kids with uh, autism spectrum disorder or even kids without. The issue that kept coming up over and over again about 15, 20 years ago was that we could build a really nice function-based intervention that would both decrease the child's problem behavior and increase her or his success within school. But far too often, shortly after that program was faded out, the student was back into the same difficult situation that she'd been in before. The issue was we could do really well at building individual supports, but those individual supports only really resulted in quality change in the education and lifestyle of the student if they occurred in a context where the whole school was engaged. So part of what we've learned, think about the things that we've learned about creating effective environments for kids with autism spectrum disorder, whether that be a home environment, a community environment, a school environment, for older kids, a work environment. Think about this. Uh, if, if you were to condense the last 35 years' worth of research, one way to do it would be to say, create environments that are, one, highly predictable. Everybody knows exactly what behaviors are expected. Create environments that are consistent, consistent across people, place, and time. So in schools, when teacher A expects one thing and teacher B expects another, That's difficult for all students, and especially difficult for a student on the spectrum. Third, create an environment that is positive. Part of what we've learned over and over again is acknowledge things they do well at least five times as often as you correct things that they do incorrectly. And fourth, and this is a more subtle variable, the environment needs to be one in which the child feels safe. 
They need to be both physically safe and emotionally safe. And if you're asking someone to build new communication skills, if you're asking somebody to reach out and build relationships, you've got to have an environment in which those risks are socially reasonable. So part of what we did is we backed up and we said, if you wanted to create a school environment that was predictable, consistent, positive, and safe, one of the things that is absolutely clear right from the get-go is you're not going to be able to accomplish that one child at a time. You've got to create a whole social culture in which everybody in the school is on board with what is expected, how do we operate, what are the teachers looking for, and a big one is getting to the point where the students are expecting appropriate behavior from each other. That's what led George Sugai to really create and design and implement this whole notion of school-wide positive behavior support. And it built from early work that Roy Mayer had done in Los Angeles, uh, systems design efforts that Tony Biglin and others wrote about in the, in the early 90s. But what George really did is he said, let's implement what we know about creating effective environments through the whole school. One of the messages that I would hope parents would take away is behavior support is not about going inside a child and changing her behavior. Behavior support is about the design of effective environments. School-wide positive behavior support is about the design of effective schools for everybody. When you walk into a school that uses school-wide positive behavior support, they will have defined three to five positively stated behavioral expectations. Things like be respectful of each other, be responsible for yourself, try your best, be safe. Things that are general values that all kids know. But because we adopt a very behavioral perspective, we don't just stop with those big constructs. We actually translate those into very, very specific behaviors. So the students learn, what does it mean to be respectful in the classroom? Well, it will mean things like raise your hand so that you're being respectful of other people who may also want to contribute or talk. In the cafeteria, being responsible means taking care of your lunch tray and whatnot, taking care of your own behavior and your own materials. On the bus, being responsible means sitting down. So what are the real behaviors in real settings that go along with these big ideas? So you define and teach behavioral expectations. But again, using what we've learned from children on the spectrum, we also know that it's absolutely critical not just to teach, but to also acknowledge on a regular basis kids when they're doing things the right way. Using acknowledgement as a way to both reinforce and to teach That is an example of being respectful. That is an example of being responsible. The fourth piece of PBIS is doing everything we can to decrease the likelihood that problem behaviors get rewarded. I loved your introduction about talking about how problem behavior is maintained by function, by getting what you want, getting attention, getting objects, getting activities, avoiding things you don't like. So problem behaviors can be not just communicative, but they can be very practical ways of getting what you want. Part of what we've learned within PBIS is to the extent that a school 
allows problem behavior to continue to be rewarded, rewarded by peer attention, rewarded by escaping work, that problem behavior will become more likely. Think of the number of schools that send someone to the office when they uh, engage in tantrums or talking out or swearing. Oftentimes, those behaviors are done because the child is being faced with academic tasks that are difficult, that are unpleasant, that are aversive. Being sent to the office is functionally rewarding because the kid gets to leave the classroom, get away from the thing that's unpleasant, and actually go to the office where there's somebody who's generally very nice to them. So part of what we're looking for, define what you want, teach what you want, acknowledge what you want on a regular and frequent basis, and build in a system where problem behaviors do not result in either getting things that are valued or escaping and avoiding things that kids don't want to do. If you build an environment that has those contexts, two things happen. One, the overall amount of problem behavior goes down. And in fact, the randomized control trials, the experiments, have demonstrated a 20 to 60% reduction in office discipline referrals and problem behavior when you put school-wide positive behavior support in place. And that's at elementary and middle school. And we're just now getting into doing PBIS in about 1,100 high schools. So we'll be replicating at that level also. More importantly, when you put that in place, when kids are coming to school, when they're not going to the office, when they're paying attention, the paying attention actually ends up resulting in increases in academic performance. So PBS does not increase academic accomplishments. PBIS increases the likelihood that good teaching will have an effect. Good teaching has been shown to, over and over, increase reading, math, writing skills for kids um, on the spectrum and for kids who simply need more um, educational support. Part of what we now have is we actually, again, have randomized controlled trials showing that implementation of PBS not only results in a decrease in problem behavior, but an increase in academic performance. Uh, Catherine Bradshaw is just about to publish an article in the journal Pediatrics also showing that in environments that are predictable, consistent, positive, and safe, students demonstrate social-emotional functioning at an increased level. So general social-emotional functioning goes up when you implement PBIS. And uh, a study that I especially like was recently done by uh, Professor Scott Ross at uh, Utah State University. It will be published next month in the Journal of Positive Behavioral Interventions and Supports that um, demonstrates not just do students benefit, but teachers actually identify themselves as being more effective and lower rates of staff turnover when you implement school-wide positive behavior support. So the basic message to take away is it is really important and essential to look at how we support individual students. But if you really want to change the way that education operates, doing it one child at a time is insufficient. What George Sugai really taught us was think about the whole school and think about prevention, not just change. 
and that makes so much sense when you, when you when you think about it. As hard as we work with individual kids, that we want to put them in a context where uh, they know that they can predict, they can use their new skills in a safe way, and that it's going to be consistent enough for them to navigate the social world to use all the things that we're teaching them. It makes total sense. What I'd like to to dive into, I think we'll take a break and we'll dive into this right after, is you know, we're talking about what maintains behavior, and I think we have a good sense of that. But taking it to the stage of looking at bullying, what you know, I'd like to hear from you. What maintains a bully's behavior? What, what, why do we see bullying on campus, and why is it so so difficult for our staff to uh, address it? I think faculty are confused by it. They try to they try to punish it. It doesn't go away. I'd like to hear how uh, how we're looking at school wide positive behavior supports addressing that issue. A lot of our parents are wanting to hear about that. So when we come back from the break, we'll we'll dive into bullying with Dr. Rob Horner. And I'd like to again thank our sponsors, especially Autism Training Solutions and Code Metro, for uh, for making this show possible. When we return, we'll have more with Dr. Robert Horner. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. At Autism Training Solutions, we know what it's like to work with children with autism, and we know what professional development can do for a school, a child and a family. That is why we want to give 50 schools in the U.S. access to ATS professional development for a whole year. All you need to do is tell us how ATS would make a difference for your team in a one-minute video or a 500-word essay. For a complete set of rules, visit AutismTrainingSolutions.com backslash contest. Shepard Mullen Richter in Hampton is a proud supporter of Autism Spectrum Therapies. Shepard Mullen is a full-service law firm with more than 570 attorneys in 14 offices located in the United States, Europe, and Asia. Companies turn to Shepard Mullen to handle corporate and technology matters, high-stakes litigation, and complex financial transactions. For more information, please visit ShepardMullen.com. BDO is dedicated to service, from serving our clients to serving the communities in which we live and work. Through BDO Counts, our national corporate volunteer program, employees across the country volunteer their time, talent, and resources for the good of local communities. And now, BDO is proud to support Autism Spectrum Therapies. We believe in doing our best to make the world a little better. That's why people who know community involvement know BDO. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Freya, and today we're discussing school-wide positive behavior support with Dr. Robert Horner from the University of Oregon. And we were just about to start talking about how school-wide positive behavior support is helpful for reducing bullying on campus. Uh, Can you give us an idea of that, Dr. Horner? Sure, Bill. Bullying is something that has really captured everyone's interest in the past about two years. There's even been a White House forum where President and Mrs. Obama 
we're focusing people's attention on issues related to bullying and not just the social and emotional feeling related to bullying, but the sense and the extent to which bullying actually interferes with a huge number of students' ability to accomplish academic gains. One of the things that's undeniably clear is that both children who engage in bullying and children who experience bullying are much less likely to have reduced social outcomes, reduced academic outcomes, and reduced long-term benefits uh, related to school. So bullying is something that really is much more significant than we've given it credit for in the past. So here's basically things I would recommend. One, let's be clear about what bullying is. Bullying is the repeated act of either physical, social, verbal aggression, one child against another. Typically, it's focused around relational aggression, um, and in most cases, we're looking at situations where one student is not just doing something once, but doing it over and over and over. People think of it as bullying, and in many of the articles in the literature, they talk about a disproportionate uh, social power status between the person engaging in bullying and the person who's not. Those of us who are more behaviorally inclined, it's hard to actually measure that specifically. So let's really just focus right now. I want you to think about the number of times you've been in a situation or heard about situations where a, children is call, a child is called names, a child is demeaned by her or his peers, a child is threatened, if you do this, I'll do that, uh, somebody takes away uh, lunch or food or money or clothes or something from another person, or basically, and think about this, the number of times in which bullying is done by systematically excluding someone from access to a peer group or a tra uh, play activity or things of that nature. Bullying is something that happens in many, many different ways. The typical response, the response in the 80s and 90s, was to identify children who engaged in bullying and remove them from the school or remove them from situations where they would be able to influence other kids. Here's some messages I really want you to take away. When we interview students in school, 20 to 30% of students identify themselves as repeatedly being in situations where they are experiencing bullying. This is not a small number of children it's many, many children are identifying themselves in elementary, middle, and especially high school as experiencing bullying. Second, bullying is not done by a small number of students who come from deprived or damaged environments. Bullying is done by many students from all socioeconomic classes, from all ethnicities, so bullying is much more common than we as adults or teachers typically think. It's one of those things that is a student-student interaction pattern, much more so than an adult-student interaction pattern. So if you understand that process, then using what we've learned from children with autism spectrum disorder about the importance of behavioral function, part of what you want to say is, 
why do we get a relational aggression? Why does this keep happening? And we actually have done the direct observations, primarily in elementary schools, where we watch. We watch what happens during the short period of time after somebody is name-calling or aggressive or threatening. And what we found was that about 85% of the time, someone would deliver social payoff. They would either create uh, an emotional event. They would actually um, tell the person who was doing bullying that they were neat and powerful. But something would happen that was socially rewarding, sometimes from the victim, more often from bystanders. So here's what I want you to be thinking of. Bullying happens in schools much more than we think. Bullying happens by many different students, not just one or two. Bullying is maintained. It keeps happening, not because the person has some deep-seated emotional damage, but because it works. It gets the student access to social payoff, something that they like, either from the victim or from, more often, bystanders. So here's what we've learned. Here's what we've really learned. It is perfectly appropriate to identify kids who are engaged in bullying, to actually have them be part of um, workshops and clinical support that teach them more appropriate ways to behave. But quite frankly, those efforts will be insufficient unless you actually change the way that other students respond to bullying. So what we've done, we've been working for the past about seven years on bully prevention embedded within school-wide positive behavior support and come back to that notion of creating a whole school with a social culture that is predictable, consistent, positive, and safe. One of the things that we've learned, if every child in the school is taught what it means to be respectful, then they will be able to identify this is an example of respectful behavior and this is an example of not respectful behavior. What people used to do is they would go in and say that non-respectful behavior, that is bullying. Let us teach you what bullying is and then tell you not to do it. That has turned out to be a problem because you end up doing deviancy training. You teach people what bullying is. When you do that, they end up being more likely to bully, not less. Don't teach people what bullying is. Teach people what being respectful means. So the first thing, everybody learns this is what respectful behavior looks like. Respect from children to adults, respect from adults to children, and respect from students to each other. Once they've learned that, then the critical thing is to say, if someone treats you in a disrespectful way, what do you do? Well, you don't scream and yell. You basically need to give that person what we call a stop signal. And we actually teach kids to hold up their hand and say stop. And if somebody tells you to stop, you are actually in this school expected to take a step back, stop, go about your day, no big deal. But the students learn it's okay to say stop. It's not a big deal. It's not a big conflict. There's not a big discussion. You just stop, and then you move on to something else. And when everybody learns to do that, to say, I know what being respectful is, 
I know that if somebody is disrespectful, I say stop. And you do that, not just if they do it to you, but if you are a bystander and you see somebody do it to someone else. So think about being a student on the spectrum in a school. Somebody comes up and says something mean to you that you're confused by and you don't quite understand. Rather than engaging in aggression or getting angry or something like that, you say stop or somebody with you says stop, you go about your day and you change. You take away the social payoff for engaging in bullying behavior and you give kids responses that do not require high emotional reaction. Now it sounds awfully simple when you say it the way I've said it, but we've actually done this in school after school after school. One study that we actually published in the Journal of Applied Behavior Analysis demonstrated that when we put this in place and watched children on the playground, kids who had been high-frequency bully behavior kids reduced the likelihood that they would engage in bullying by 72%. Wow. A huge reduction. More importantly, the thing that was so exciting to us was there was a 19% increase in the likelihood that people would say stop and a 28% reduction in the likelihood that either victims or bystanders would socially reward bullying behavior. So this whole notion, the notion of bullying as being something that historically we have treated as um, one or two kids who were just rotten apples and we needed to get rid of them, turns out those kids are not rotten apples at all. They've simply learned dysfunctional ways of obtaining social payoff. It's very appropriate to reteach them appropriate alternatives. But a critical thing, a critical thing to that being something that actually works is building a social culture where relational aggression, where taunting, teasing, name-calling, is no longer tolerated, no longer rewarded. And you right, do that, that sense. by giving yeah. kids a very specific common response. I'm sorry, go ahead, you had a comment? Yeah, uh, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. I, I think probably one question that will come up is, if, if this is not in place currently at my child's school and they're being bullied, what, what can I do? I want to make Excellent sure that question. we... So if you're a parent, think about it at two different levels. At level number one, it is absolutely reasonable to expect that a school provides an environment that is predictable, consistent, positive, and safe. It is not okay for bullying to happen. As a parent, be aware, many times the adults in a school don't actually know that the bullying has happened. So you're telling the school officials, my daughter is saying that people are calling her this name, or my son is saying that this is happening on the playground is tremendously helpful. One, you should expect that a school official will in fact intervene and prevent, you know, deal with that individual event. But our experience is the individual event, uh, the kid who's been engaging in bullying may stop bullying your daughter, but will just shift to somebody else. So when we really talk about something that benefits everybody and that actually gets a systemic change, 
what you really are looking for is something where the, the officials do a survey of the kids. They get an idea of what's actually happening, and then they actually intervene, starting with building the school-wide system and then adding that whole focus on how you respond to disrespectful behavior. That takes about a six-month period. But So think about two different levels. Level one, deal with the immediate problem and deal with it quickly. Level two, deal with a systemic problem by building something where you say, have we in this school defined behavioral expectations, taught behavioral expectations, built a formal system for acknowledging behavioral expectations, and then the one that I've just emphasized, have we formally built systems <clears throat> that problem behavior is not rewarded by either adults or other kids? Right, and that is so important. Well, you know, thank you, Dr. Horner, for joining us today. This was really helpful. You're doing amazing work, and I think that a, a lot of families listening today are going to reach out to their schools and talk to them about this and certainly find out more about school-wide positive behavioral support. I really appreciate you coming on today. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, uh, we'll be talking about ABA intervention, so stay tuned. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Parents of special needs individuals want to know if the care their loved ones are receiving is the best possible. We at Code Metro, developers of NPA Works, business management software for special needs providers, understand the unique necessities of running a successful organization. NPA Works helps free providers of tedious tasks like scheduling and insurance billing. Ensure your clinic is maximizing the time they give to your loved one. Ask if they use NPA Works. Visit us at npaworks.com to see how we can help. If you are considering how cloud computing might benefit your business, CenterBeam's Cloud Readiness Assessment can help. Our track record includes over a decade of service delivery experience, and our customer satisfaction leads the industry. We've moved hundreds of clients to the cloud and can help you identify the best strategy for your business. Call today to get a 25% discount on your assessment, 877-710-8880. The assessment is yours to keep and will provide specific insight into how the cloud can work for you. Call 877-710-8880 or visit centerbeam.com forward slash voice America. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Freya. And today we've been discussing positive behavior supports in several of its forms. And I want to once again thank Dr. Rob Horner for his excellent discussion and expertise. And you can learn more about the projects they're doing at the University of Oregon at the website uoecs.org, uoecs.org. And one of the things they have in there, and 
they have a lot of resources, but one thing I really like is the PowerPoints that they have. And there's an entire, I think, 60-page or so PowerPoint on school bullying that is really nice to see how they look at the different variables that go into treating it. And for more about positive behavioral interventions, you can go to pbis.org, pbis.org. That's also a great site for resources. And Dr. Horner provided some great insight and information about changing the culture of a school campus. And one focus of his is obviously bullying. This is an issue that most parents of children with autism face as their children are commonly teased and bullied at school. Uh, A recent interactive autism network survey found that 63% of children with autism spectrum disorder have been bullied. Now they looked at ages six to fifteen, but you know, compared to what uh, Dr. Horner was talking about, and the average child, thirty percent, which is a huge number, and we're doubling that uh, for uh, these more vulnerable kids on the spectrum. And I'd like to to mention a new documentary film that you might have heard of called Bully, and uh, many of parents listening today. Uh, have either heard about it or heard about the documentary about bullying that's going to be coming out. Uh, I believe it is out now, and it's receiving high praise for an honest look at the realities of bullying in our schools. And there is some controversy over the R rating it's received, but um, it uses real language, real, a real environment, real, uh, real violence on school campuses. Uh, and many believe this film can be a powerful teaching tool and ignite important conversations, and I'm sure it will. And ironically, a lot of the kids being bullied might not be able to see the film because of the rating, but um, I think it's worth taking a look at it if you feel comfortable with it, uh, maybe taking your child back. One of the quotes uh, in the film that's pretty striking is uh, one from Kim Lockwood, who's an assistant principal of East Middle School in Sioux City, Iowa. And she's walking down the hall confronting a student who's been bullied, and, and she looks up and says, Tell me how to fix this. I don't have any magic. And she's expressing uh, the frustration, the confusion uh, that a lot of school administrators are dealing with trying to understand bullying. So what we learned today from Dr. Horner, I think, is really helpful that it's a six-month process, but it's worthwhile. And it's not high technology. It's basically just agreeing on the rules of your school. If you're looking for ways to learn more or spread the word about bullying, you can always visit the Autism Speaks site, autismspeaks.org. They have a combating bullying page with some tools and resources that may be helpful. They've worked with some other organizations to to create some resources and uh, I think a parent tip sheet as well. Combating Bullying is the name of the page on Autism Speaks. And you can also check out uh, the Bully Project site. This is related to the movie. And they have a site for special needs, actually, uh, kids who are bullied, and that site is specialneeds.thebullyproject.com. You can learn more and find out what you can do to help children live in a bully-free world. So as you learned today, there's a strong evidence base for using school-wide positive behavioral supports. And like I said, it's not expensive. Um, it's it's not an enormous venture for a campus. It's a practical one. And um, for all schools, I think you should consider adopting it as my, my kid's school has. It dramatically reduces bullying and it increases positive behavior on the campus. That's what we want. So I hope you spread the word to anyone who's interested in helping with the growing bullying problem. I want to talk to you briefly uh, about blended ABA programs because next week our guest will be Dr. Travis Thompson as we explore ABA approaches to teaching young children with autism. And you won't want to miss this show. Uh, Travis is also a great speaker and a great researcher. Uh, Dr. Thompson has taken on the task of explaining modern approaches to intensive early intervention. 
And his latest project has been defining the process of blending ABA interventions to develop an individualized ABA program. And this is near and dear to my heart and to my company's heart, AST. Um, AST was one of the first treatment providers I know of that took on the process of defining how to implement a blended ABA program. So it's going to be a great topic. Let me give you just a quick tease on the topic because I think you won't want to miss next week's discussion with Dr. Thompson. First of all, it's important for us to realize, understand, there's no single approach to providing an ABA program to a child with autism. So when you hear a discussion next week, you'll know why it's still troubling that professionals are still speaking about ABA generically, maybe saying your child needs an ABA program, we're going to give them an ABA program, we'll have ABA on the IEP. We're not, we're not there anymore. We're at a point where we should be able to use more specific terms. That's something that Travis has, has done well, and he's written a book that I'm sure he'll talk about. In a nutshell, there's a range of ABA approaches that go from a more traditional, low-vos-style, discrete trial approach all the way to a full, naturalistic, play-based ABA approach, maybe pivotal response training or something similar. And we'll actually have Dr. Lynn Cagle in two weeks on our show talking about PRT. But to say it simply, an individual child's program can have a specific mix or maybe a sequence of different methods. Um, at AST, we like to describe this, this variable as structure, the structure of the ABA program. And the idea is that a program can have a, a really tight structure or a very loose structure, and often it's going to be something in between. And our program may start out with a, a tight structure and then change with the child as the child evolves and learns more and does better, and into more play-based until, hopefully, it's entirely a play-based naturalistic program. And that's what you need for true effective generalization. And one challenge to having an individualized ABA program is the effort it takes to implement a play-based program. As I'm sure Travis will discuss next week, play-based programs are ironically harder to do. You have to have a therapist who is well-trained at embedding teaching into play and creating teaching opportunities and catching the child at the right time to provide instruction. It's, it's hard to do. It's harder to supervise, obviously, and it's harder to collect data on than just a simple, straightforward, more discrete trial program. So I think it's a very important topic because the different ABA approaches are not always disclosed to families. Professionals aren't discussing them necessarily. So you shouldn't just take what you get. You should learn more, find out the terms, and hopefully at least nudge your program in the right direction uh, by being informed. This may sound complicated, but we're going to break it down next week and talk about examples of how ABA interventions are provided. So uh, I will leave you with that. And for anyone who's looking for something to do this Saturday, come join AST at either the Los Angeles Walk Now for Autism Speaks at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, a lovely place to spend the day. Or if you happen to be in New Orleans, the Autism Society of New Orleans is having their walk and AST will have a booth at both, and I hope you'll stop by and say hi to our staff. For more information about upcoming events in your area, be sure to visit our AST Facebook page on Autism Therapies, or you can look at our calendar section of our website at autismtherapies.com. I'd love to thank our sponsors today for uh, helping us make this show possible, and I look forward to talking with you next week. We'll hear more from Dr. Travis Thompson on blended ABA programs. Until then, have a good week. Hopefully talk to you soon. We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join your host, Dr. Bill Freya, for another edition next week. Mm-hmm.